poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your hosts, Brad Wilson and John Chai. Welcome, my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, on Tuesday, it's a tactical day. Going to be breaking down some hand histories with my co-host, John. How you doing, sir? How's it going, Brad? Doing well. Got Actually, I'm, kind of ex- I'm pretty excited for these two hands. Like, more excited than usual. I think, I think this is like an a under-talked-about uh, tool or concept in poker and it's something that like i haven't done i haven't really used until recently or even like had like at the forefront of my mind while playing a hand until recently which is why i picked cherry picked this hand out from my recently played hands to talk about <laughs> i was like oh my god i did it <laughs> you did the thing so what's the thing right what's the underutilized tool uh inducing raises with very very small bets uh when you have a good hand that wants to put two bets in and uh this is i think just like a a creative way to get two bets in when you have a really good hand and initiative yeah or three bets too yeah or three if the river is not all in but yeah so let's just break down this first hand so i played this this hand i don't even know when it's been forever ago at the middle of last year at some point it's a 2k and l um just yeah spot where yeah, we go for the the induction bet. Um, and then John played his hand like 45 minutes ago. He was so excited that we had to do a Tactical Tuesday about it. Um, <laughs> so my hand starts out at 2K and L. Um, the cutoff, everybody at the table is a reg to my recoll- recollection. The cutoff opens to little less than 2.5 bb so 45 dollars were two 2k effective so 100 big blinds um i three bet to 220 out of the big blind um pretty standard stuff i have the 10 of clubs 10 of spades our opponent decides to call and we see a flop flop is deuce of hearts five of diamonds 10 of diamonds so we got the the old top set going there's 450 in the pot. Uh, I guess we'll start here with the flop decision. John, what do you think? Um, okay, so pre-flop, everything looked totally standard. I think here on the flop, I would start by... Uh, I would start with some sort of C-bet. I think you can well, C-bet range on this flop, honestly, for like one-third pot. I think you can have a slightly bigger sizing here and do some like half pot and checking so i think there are lots of different strategies you can, you can take but with this hand i would certainly be looking to set the flop for some size at least yeah and because we have top set specifically decided to go smaller uh like the third size mm-hmm. or 30 percent. so i bet 134 to 450 and our opponent decides to call the turn is the ace of spades and there's 718 in the pot. Uh, I have 1700 
behind and villain has us covered by a couple hundred bucks. So really here on the turn, what, what do you, what do you think now? Um, <clears throat> I think this turn is interesting for a bunch of reasons, but I think that just uh, my general strategy on this Ace of Spades turn is either going to be to bet small with uh, like a small, tiny value portion of my range. But if I, I think the simplest strategy is, is just a check range. Yeah, uh, I do end up checking yeah. the turn. Uh, I thought that, yeah, I mean, basically, I thought the lot the the ace gives me a lot of like single pair, top pair, weak kicker type hands that start going into like check check mode on the turn. I thought it like just really it's hard to get called three streets if you have like the ace four or the ace tray um, by worse hands. So decided to you know check and our opponent unfortunately checks behind. Anything that you can make a villain's decision here to check behind on the turn? Yeah, I think um, we can immediately start. Well, I, okay, so I would immediately view this check behind as uh, an indication of some sort of showdown value. Um, it can be anywhere from like really, really weak showdown value. I think like a hand like pocket sixes um, could call a three bet and definitely call a small bet on the flop. Um, I think that hands like that would check back. Um, I think all their 10x is likely to check back. Um, yeah. I think again, uh, I think like the a lot of their draws are going to be really tempted to bet, or a lot of like their back their floats on the flop, like you know, queen jack of hearts or something like that is, is going to be really really tempted to start stabbing here. I also think that they're really strong value, so like a set of fives or a set of deuces or maybe a hand like ace ten or a set of aces really... if they decide to flat. Yeah, yeah, they could have a set of aces. Um, those really strong hands are going to be really tempted to bet the turn. Uh, also, I think when they do check back, I, I'm just assigning them some sort of marginal to weak showdown value range yeah like basically mostly bluff catchers right yep yep um and i in game even though this was like nine months ago i have to imagine i thought the same uh and the river is the eight of clubs and like i said there's 17 in the pot you know the final board is uh 10 five deuce was the flop turn is an ace rivers an eight there's no flush available um, there's, I have 1700 and there's 718 in the pot. So we know what I do because of the theme of this episode. But before we get to my action, I will ask for your river analysis. So <clears throat> I used to think, I, I think I used to be like too primitive in my thinking about these spots where I would be like, oh, this guy has showdown, like a bluff catcher. Okay, let's make him bluff catch for like the max on the river with his pocket nines or weak ace x or 10x or jacks or whatever he checks back on the flop like since he since we know he has a bluff catcher like let's just try to make those hands bluff catch for as much as for as much money as i think they'll be able to put it on the river um yeah i think that's i think that's the way that i used to think i think that's generally the way people think about these spots uh but i think that there's a, a better path yes they know what the better path is. It's literally the title of the episode, or at least the path that I took. The reason that I took the path of betting small was because, and I do remember having this thought in game, was I did not. So basically, when you put, uh, when you, when you use a small bet against bluff catchers, they're kind of 
either forced to raise and or fold. So like I wanted to basically tempt the in position player here by using a small sizing um, in a spot where they're they feel I'm unlikely to use a small sizing if I have like a strong value hand and I have a wide availability of marginal value bets, right? Like I could marginally value bet kings or queens or jacks, um, king 10, uh, ace tray, ace four, any ace really, uh, any suited ace, ace nine, ace eight, ace seven, whatever. So I have like a high availability of like marginal value bets um, and also a portion of my range that they feel I'm likely going to size up with. And so because of that, like I decided to choose the small bet to induce a raise from villains like, uh, you know, their, their worst bluff catchers. I think that I agree that that is now my opinion, but like that is my opinion. That's the best way forward. I think, I think there's some things that we should like sort of caveat um, before like just telling people to like do this. I think the one important thing is kind of the skill level of your opponent in the spot. Like it needs to be a pretty good player, I think, for this play to be to be worth it. Like someone who's gonna recognize that you are likely betting for thin value. Also someone who's like aggressive enough to go for that river race um with you know whatever bluff catcher that they're now turning into and I think like maybe one reason I'm not as um like in tune with thinking this way is because I, I don't know if this works as works as well at like 100 and L as it does at like one K and L. Like I don't, I don't think that the regs one are perceptive enough or are like aggressive enough to, to make betting small and trying to induce better than betting a larger size and just trying to get bluff caught by their bluff catches. Um, I those think, are the two things that I was going to add. Yeah. I think there's another condition here and that's not in play in this specific hand, but yeah, I've been, deploying the induction bet for a while now in both live and online. I think it's just a thing that you should do. The other sort of scenario that happens where I like the induction bet a lot is when opponent has a deficit of strong value hands and also doesn't have a lot of bluff catchers. So basically the range is like mostly air balls. Okay. Um, and that's, Something that, you know, I, I think the listener can deploy live where villain just typically they're going to be uh, out of position too. So like they check the river, they just have a busted everything and you just put out like a little chum in the water to uh, entice them to raising, right? It's almost like they don't have the thought or idea of raising until they see that bet. And then, you know, you can almost see the light bulb go off over their head, like in real time. Uh, and they're like, Oh wait, I have another option here. I can just raise like um, poker inception. Yeah. Plant basically idea in their mind and then <laughs> plant the idea. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's the other condition really, but, but it, it's really, it's just bait. Like yeah. Sticking it's this little, this little piece of fish out there. Like, hey. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't you want to win the pot? Here's, here's a little chance, buddy. Chop uh, on this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it, it should be used somewhat seldomly, but when, when the right conditions present themselves, yeah, it, it can be yeah pretty effective. So um, in game, in this specific hand at, at 2KNL, I bet a third on the river. So 214 and 718. My opponent um, just rips 
and we call obviously with a set of tins and they have the pocket trays. Um, so turn their weak bluff catcher into a bluff, uh, which yeah, worked out pretty nicely. Um, to be fair though, for the, the listener too, this, this situation was like kind of perfect. I have a database full of situations that were somewhat similar where this shit did not work out, uh, in the way that I had planned. So yeah, you have to be very careful. Um, it's a fine line when you're trying to induce a river raise because there are some specific players and some specific player profiles that just, they don't take the bait. And when they raise, like you get more than you bargained for, you basically <laughs> land jaws and try to reel it into the boat, you know? Um, so after the break, we're going to look at John's hand and see what happened and why he's so excited. So stick uh, it's around. Actually, I think it's less. Oh, I shouldn't say. Anyways, I just want, last thing I want to say was that if this was me, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I would have just bet big on the river and threes probably fold and I just never look at the hand again or whatever. Yeah, I, I do my best to set up the second hand and John just like harpoons it right through the heart. Like, don't, 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 you can just turn Tactical Tuesday off. Don't even bother sticking around for the next <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you've heard all the good stuff already. <laughs> The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Free Flop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your pre-flop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your pre-flop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. Before bootcamp, I had been playing for maybe 15 years. Somewhat seriously, always trying to get better, jumping from learning program to different learning programs and training site to training site. Kind of feeling a little bit lost, not really knowing how to go about getting better. And Preflop Bootcamp just felt like a great starting point, a way for me to, to move from being a losing player to, to possibly a winning player. It felt like the right first step. Once you jumped in Bootcamp, what was your experience like? Well, first off, I realized that I'd been making a lot of mistakes prior to boot camp, kind of learning what rangers should look like and what hands should be played and what situations. You know, it was it was exciting because I, I could see what other people had been doing to me, what kind of what I had been missing in my game. And then from there, just the whole camaraderie of everybody that's um, signed up, working together, trying to achieve that goal. You know, that, that was fun. That's uh, pushing each other and really helping uh, one another, kind of feeling like you're a part of a team. It was, uh, it was a great experience. I, I enjoyed the process and I learned a lot. What was your experience like playing cards post bootcamp? It's a totally different experience. You know, it put me in a position to be successful as opposed to always being behind the eight ball and, and playing catch up. Um, I really feel like it's it's the foundation of, of a solid poker game. And uh, since boot camp, I've been able to, to turn a profit and keep building on what I learned there. You know, being able to go back into the group and uh, re really work together even after boot camp was over, it's, it's been awesome. What's your sample size of winning post boot camp? 
I think I have 70,000 hands played by now. You know, I'm a father and I have a job, so I'm not a, a professional player by any means. That's my sample size. Preflop Bootcamp is the flagship Chasing Poker Greatness training program. If you'd like to dramatically upgrade your preflop game, a new bootcamp launches on the last Saturday of every single month. The price is $199 and your link to join is ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp, all one word, or you can click through in the description box of this episode. All right, so we're back. You may not want to be here. You may not be excited about being here, but you're here now. And so we have to watch John's hand. And since you did your best to squash all enthusiasm, I'll let you break down the action. All right, so this hand starts with a reg uh, who's under the gun, opening to $22. Action folds around to me in the big blind. I have king six of hearts and I defend. Flop is seven six deuce rainbow. Um, just going to be starting out with check here all the time, and that's what I do. The reg who opened under the gun checks back, and we get a pretty sweet turn. Uh, six of clubs on the turn, so I turn trip sixes. Um, I think this is kind of the first real decision point in the hand for me. Um, maybe whether to uh, probe turn or not, and then if I do decide to turn probe, what size? Um, I do decide to. At the turn here with my trip sixes and go for a pretty big three quarters pot. Uh, you have any thoughts on this spot? Um, I think you have to bet, or betting is highly preferred. I, I think in the same vein of the last hand, like the flop check back on this specific board, uh, to me indicates some kind of showdown value generally. Like, I think a lot of their like backdoor. Queen Jack, King Queen, Jack Ten of Hearts, Spades, Clubs, typically C bet the flop. So checking back, I, I would think that they have something in the order of like you know we have a King, so Ace Queen High, um, Seven Eight suited, Seven Nine suited, Pocket Fives potentially. Think overpairs all bet the flop, or do you think he has some? Uh, they probably will be checking and betting some overpairs. Yeah, I think it's, I, I think it's likely, but I, I don't think. Yeah, I think that the hands that you'd want to stab with like almost no equity. Um, yeah, I don't think they're going to put in a bet. You do miss a bet from an overpair if you check raise, but that's under the assumption that like they called the check raise and called the river bet with like tens. And I, I, I'm not exactly sure if that's the case. Right. Plus, so, they have to check back an overpair on the flop. Right. Plus, they do. Yes. So, so I think like, for value betting here is preferred. I, I like your size. You know, you could have probably just gone to like pot, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but whatever. Just because yeah. I think like 70 and pot are effectively I, I don't think anything's gonna change as it relates to their strategy. Right. They're not like all the hands that are gonna bluff catch this size are gonna bluff catch pot. Yeah, they're not folding ace queen right. to pot, but calling it 70%, right? They're either gonna call it both or okay. fold fold it both. Um, River double pairs the board. And so we know what happens. You choose a small sizing. 
So in game, what I was thinking here was that I want <laughs> what I wanted was I wanted under the gun again, like like in your hand to think that I was value betting thinly, like maybe some sort of like seven, like a seven type hand that is going for some thin value here. And I wanted under the gun to find raises with both their like potential non-showdown hands. Like maybe he has some club club hands with no showdown that um, get tempted to raise versus this size, but also like think that he could go for a thin value raise with whatever over pairs he might check back on the flop thing that like I would always bet a six or a deuce for a bigger size on the river. Yeah, I think, I mean, maybe they do have backdoor clubs like ace jack of clubs or ace queen of clubs. Yeah, but those hands um, aren't raising probably. Uh, doubt it. Uh, maybe though, maybe versus small bet because like you pulled the turn and now it's looking more uh, like kind of mergy. Like mm-hmm. you, you have some thinner value bets here right, right, using right. this river sizing. So it's it's actually kind of oddly played on your part. Um, I'd be confused. I don't think I would raise an overbear for value. I think it's too too thin because the assumption is like you have to call with your seven facing a raise. Um, maybe you do. Like maybe they recognize it's a, a bet that's designed to induce, and so they go get a little greedy. I guess that could be the case with like jacks or something like that. Uh, they could kind of va- value cut themselves by raising. Uh, I do think with like an ace queen of clubs, maybe this does induce them to raise thinking they have less showdown than they would facing like a polarized river bet. Yeah. So yeah, all in all, it's okay. Sounds like you would have just bet bigger though. That's what it sounds like you were saying. You would have probably. Yes. I yeah. probably would have bet bigger. Just go pull her on like, and tr- like, I mean, try to get their A sizes, excuse me, their A size to just bluff catch on this double paired board. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Like I think ace queen or ace jack is going to call. And then I think, uh, yeah, I think their overpairs might raise, but they might not. Um, but they'll certainly call like a pot size bet. Darn. First time I thought I did it. I, 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 <laughs> the first time I thought I did it right. <laughs> I, I don't think it's like totally wrong. Um, this is like your MO though, I would say. Like knowing knowing you in the way that I do, uh, I know that, look, I'm just going to put this out into the world. If John does something that is weird, and it's like the first time he does it, he always has the nuts. <laughs> Do I really? I think so. Yeah. You, you don't find these sort of spots unless you have like the backup safety blanket of like, I don't really know what's going to happen here, but I have the nuts. So let's kind of see what happens before I, I go crazy and do this with something different. Okay. I mean, I think that's, I, I know that's true about myself with some of like the more out there bluff lines that we've come up with like wolf strats. Like the first time I test them, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm just going to try it with the value hand and see if they actually fold. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. okay. Well, maybe that's, and actually that's, that's something that you say, like just in general, not even about me. Right. It's like when, when regs or when players find like the weird, the weird size or the weird line, it's might be more likely that they just have it in those spots. Cause it's hard to find the weird size or it's, fi- it's hard to have like the courage to do the weird thing when you have a bluff. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to see the door, and, and you also don't have any experience in navigating that situation. And typically, if you don't have any experience, you're a little bit more tentative. Yeah. But if you've done it 100 times and kind of understand how it works, then you, you find the door, and you're more confident in doing it with like, you know, 8, 9 or something here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in maybe different 
situation. Yeah. But like zero percent chance I would I would bet this size on the river as a bluff right now. <laughs> There's actually no no universe where I pick this size as my river bluff size. Right. And I think that's probably true amongst all the rest of the regs in the pool or the majority of them. I don't even think this is like necessarily a great size to bluff with on the river. Um which makes it, you know, quite difficult for anybody to find mm-hmm. this sizing as a bluff, which kind of plays into uh, generating raises from bluff catchers because even like trays or fours or fives could turn themselves into a bluff facing the small bet. And then mm-hmm. the ace queen, the ace jack. Uh, I actually, like, I don't think it's like the worst spot to do it in just because you put a lot of pressure on all of those bluff catchers. Because now when you bet small, like they realize, God, I, I don't have much showdown equity here because they're never doing it with, you know, eight, nine, or they're almost never doing it or rarely doing it with eight, nine. Yeah. This is like seven X at worst kind of on the flip side of that. They will still call <laughs> with yeah, ace right, right, right. right? They, they will just call just to spite themselves. Which, yeah, it's an interesting quirk to the situation because I could, I could like sense the listener going, oh, well, if they realize that, then they're just going to fold. Well, no, they, they still don't fold. They, they, <laughs> they realize like nobody's bluffing here, but like, yo, I, I'm getting such a good price. I'm not folding either. Which is why I don't use the size to bluff the <laughs> Right, right. It's, it's not mutually exclusive. They can know that they don't have any showdown equity and still call regardless, right? Um, but they do find the raise here. Yeah, so I do go, I bet like one third or somewhere between like a third and a quarter, it looks like on the on the river and do get raised. I bet 32.89 and the under the gun reg makes it $168. Yeah, and I haven't seen the result of this hand. So I would say they have two fives. This is my, what, my guess. What, what do you do facing this race? What do you mean? Oh, you, you, never, th- you never bet three bet this spot? Uh, what do you mean? What do I mean? Jeez. Well, I thought the hand was over. We only have a full much. house. Like. They ha- they never have any value. Like it's just. Uh, does it matter what you do? I mean. Well, I mean, we just. You, so you would just call here and just being like, "Well, <laughs> I know I have the best hand always, but no, I mean, I don't I, have I, a value." <laughs> yeah, I think you should raise, but like, I think it's rare that you get called, um, unless they think that. I agree. I think it's rare that I get called, which I think, I think this is like a, maybe another level, like another, maybe I went too crazy here, but I thought this was like another spot I could induce again. By clicking it? Yeah. How many? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, I think the induction on the induction, that's too many inductions. I think like we talked about inception earlier. This is like one level too deep in inception. You're like, you, you know, you're, so you're saying you just rip it here. You're the old man at the table. Um, waiting years for people to show up at the end of the movie. Uh, I don't think I rip it, but I probably go like 600. I don't think I jam, but I put Just in try like, to get aces to call or something. Yeah, I put in like a healthy raise that, again, you know, if you want to, I think here going bigger looks bluffier than clicking it. Yeah, I agree. I think. I think going bigger does look bluffier than clicking it, but I think clicking it does leave the room <laughs> for them to like maybe. They can also spike call with like tens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, maybe tens calls to six hundred, so I don't know about that. Yeah. 
And so yeah, he makes it 168 and I click it. I literally min click it. Um, yeah. The 303. You went crazy at the, <laughs> you were like, oh, I got it. I'm going to induce. And then you induce and you're like, oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. For my next trick, I'm going to induce again. The In same the same guy. Man. The same him. <laughs> Um, I'll just tell you the story. So this guy does end up folding, but he tanked down all, he used his full uh, time bank before tanking. And I, dude, I was so sure he was going to rip it as soon as he started tanking, but he did not. Yeah, they just have the ace jack high. Yep. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he was thinking about it though. Or maybe he was thinking about calling. I don't know, but. You think about all those things when you face that wacky line on the river, at least I do. <laughs> like we're, as as the players become more sophisticated, they get a little bit more savage too, and they will exhaust every possibility that they can before they wave the white flag and capitulate, um, which I'm guessing that they were trying to figure out if there was a possible path that might make sense. I just wanted to whisper, whisper, you can do it, man. Just put it in. <laughs> yeah. It'll probably go through. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have shit. Yeah. Show them who's boss. They're, they're turning well, a seven. That's that small on the river with a boat. Like. Yeah. <laughs> you don't. You don't have a. You don't have anything here. They know that. Um. <laughs> all right. Well, good hand for this week's tactical Tuesday. Good theme, by the way. Well done. Um. I think that's pretty much everything that needs to be said for this episode of Tactical Tuesday. So thanks for listening. And uh, anything, anything, you got anything over there? Well, I'll just, I'll, I'll try to get better at, at, at inducing these raises and maybe have some more fun hands in the future. Until then, see you next week. Oh my God, you got <laughs> one, you have one job, your catchphrase. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.